In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. For All Mankind is a read-through show covering DC Comics' classic Super Friends series, which ran for 47 issues from 1976 to 1981. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And joining me once again in the Hall of Justice is my super friend, Derek William Crabb. Hi, Derek. Hey, Jupiters! We're finally here. I'm, I'm super happy to be back in the Hall of Justice. Yes, thank you so much for coming back for part two of this story featuring the Time Trapper, one of the great Legion of Superheroes villains. Uh, we're going to get into more about his history and stuff uh, in a moment. But again, thank you so much for coming back for, for part two of the story. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't miss the Time Trapper, man. I'm, I'm totally here for the Time Trapper. Very cool. So, okay, uh, the story is Manhunt in Time. It is by E. Nelson Bridwell, Kurt Schaffenberger, and Bob Smith, not Ramona Fraden. It was on sale December 28th, 1978. Before we get to the story, we got to talk about the cover. And the cover is also by Kurt Schaffenberger. So before we talk about the cover, uh, Derek, I just want to ask you in general, where are you on Kurt Schaffenberger? Are you a fan, not a fan, mid-tier? Where, where, where are you on his work? Uh, if if a fan is like a fanatical obsession, like I'm probably not that level. But I mean, if it's just kind of like, yeah, I like his stuff. Like I don't I don't have any you know you know uh, nasty things to say about mm-hmm. it. Like I, I I do like Kurt Schaffenberger. Like I mean, I could understand like in in a long running book like this, it's unfortunate. But th- this always happens in comic books. There you know they were a monthly publication. They had to keep schedules. People did fill ins or you know, did different runs in between and stuff like that. So, you know, if you're used to, and you become accustomed to a certain style of artist, even if it's a great artist, even if it's like your favorite artist, like, you know, if, if, I don't know, if, if Sam Keith's doing a run on the super friends and then all of a sudden art Adams takes over, like, you know, it's like, they're both great artists, right? Like, like you're still going to have that moment of like, like you know the scooby-doo kind of look where you're like wait a minute what happened like to my super friends you know and and i'm sure there were some people who took a look at this and and had that moment but i mean it's still to me this is still in keeping with the tone it's fun and and i you know i enjoy the art mind reels as to what a sam keith super friends would look like can't even wrap my head. Art Adams, I can picture, but but Sam Keith, I don't even, I don't even imagine. Come on, come on, the bell bottoms with uh, with Marvin and Wendy, that would be such a knockout. Like wow, you know, Sam Keith, Marvin yeah. and Wendy. Yeah, it would be pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, Kurt Schaffenberger is one of those guys that when I was a kid, I didn't like him too much because to me, it was too cartoony. Uh, it, it felt like it was almost like uh, the Super Friends had wandered into like an Archie comic. To me, it had that kind of combination to okay, it. Okay. As I've gotten older, though, I've 
gotten to appreciate him a lot more uh, for the solidity of his work. His figure work is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's everything is really the inking, especially especially with ink themselves or, or someone a really compatible inker like Bob Smith. Uh, it, I really like it a lot. So I've grown to appreciate it a lot more. The cover features uh, our five heroes plus the uh, the Wonder Twins, and they're trapped by the Time Trapper, and he's got his kind of uh, bony hand with his little pointy fingernails, and he's zapping at them with some sort of doodad, and he says, no use struggling, Superman. You can't escape the fate I have in store for all of you. And I love uh, the face, uh, the, the, the facial expressions that Kurt Schaffenberger has drawn on all of them. I love how annoyed they all look, except for Aquaman, who looks more concerned than annoyed, but Batman is like, and Robin is frowning and Wonder Woman looks mad. I just, I like how angry they all look. They're just sort of, uh, just, uh, aggrieved at the effrontery that, uh, the time trapper is showing by strapping them all down and blaring them with this like sort of rainbow gun or whatever it is he's doing. What do you think of this cover? I, I like the cover. I, I feel like the, 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 it, 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 the, the degree of annoyance dissipates because <laughs> of the person who's being zapped, right? Like clearly Superman's getting the brunt of the blast. So he's in the most pain. Right. And then, you know, of course, like Xan and Jaina are kind of looking either annoyed or whatever. And and the same thing with, you know, Batman and Robin and Wonder Woman. I think Aquaman's like concerned because he's like, Oh man, it's going to suck when that blast comes over here, man. That's like, that's making Superman like, hurt. like so this is gonna really suck when it comes my way. You know, yeah. It's good. Cool. It's a good layout. We managed to fit all these figures in a tight space, and I love that. I love Time Trapper with his hand, you know, boning down. Yeah. Like, yeah. Very, very cool. But yeah, I agree. I imagine if if Superman is writhing in pain, you're like, oh man, that is not going to feel good by the time that he hits me with this thing. So uh, overall, it's a, it's a good cover. I don't think it's a great cover, but it's over. I generally like. It. I think it's good. And we do have some copy here. It says the Time Trapper's deadliest trap, and it's just been sprung to catch the Super Friends. Okay, so now we know what's what's happening. So. In uh, involving uh, in the story, uh, last issue, the Super Friends wondered how they could find the Time Trapper, since he literally could be anywhere in time. So they call in their friend, the New Zealand superhero Tuatara, whose third eye allows him to see through time. Tuatara can track the Time Trapper's uh, tracks to three eras, Michigan 1860, Spain 1469, and Atlantis 59,000 B.C. The Super Friends deduce that the Time Trapper has gone to those moments in time and places in world history to try and change the future. Superman and Aquaman, teaming up once again, go to Atlantis just as it begins to shake. Superman discovers the machine that Time Trapper has built to destroy Atlantis, but the cutoff switch is unreachable to both of them lest they set it off. Aquaman calls in a pipefish whose long slender body allows it to slip in and turn the machine off. Wonder Woman and Robin go to Spain, where they stop an army of robot knights from stopping Queen Isabella from marrying Ferdinand, which will lead to the forming of modern Spain and, in turn, Columbus coming to America. Imperialism is saved. In 1860, Michigan, uh, 1860, Michigan, Batman, Zan, and Jaina save the life of young Tom Edison, who doesn't seem all that shocked by three people dressed like Batman, Zan, and Jaina. But instead of finding the Time Trapper, our heroes find themselves returning to their own time. Speaking of, the Time Trapper has shown up at Professor, Professor Nichols's lab and using some sort of device takes control over Nichols' body, which means he now controls the Super Friends' bodies as well. Suddenly, Time Trapper finds himself in the gr- grip of Gleek's tail. Grabbing the Time Trapper's weapon, he frees Nichols. Moments later, the Super Friends have awakened and Superman mentions handing Time Trapper over to the controllers. Soon, the Time Trapper fades away, being beamed back to his time. Robin is impressed by the Time Trapper's powers, but Superman says Robin should see what the controllers can do. Compared to them, Time Trapper is just a tinkerer. The end. 
All right. So, all right, Derek, uh, we, we got our thoughts over the part one of the story in the last episode. How did you uh, feel about part two? How did you feel it all wrapped up? I think it's epic that the the biggest, arguably baddest villain of the Legion <laughs> of Superheroes is undone by Gleek's tail. Like <laughs> I, stuff like that used to make me so mad, but like I, I I think now like I'm just like super amused by it and I I, I love it. And then also there like I think like hardcore Legion fans have a total out, and I can go into that. But like that's it, it just cracked me up because I was like you know, and I was thinking about what what I was saying before about how later on i think uh it's uh zan like bops the time trapper on the head too in in the later issue of the super friends but like i just i just think that's awesome like this is here i'm gonna i'm gonna tell a story about boxes now so you'll forgive me but here we go this is this is this is is what that reminds me of it's like because see there used to be this this board for the wizard you remember wizard comics magazine like way way back in the day the whole CompuServe, like you know DC like message boards, like all that stuff way back in the early, you know, 1999, 2000s or whatever. Sure, yeah. And, and they had this forum and it was called Superhero Showdown. And all of us nerds would go on there and we'd get into big, huge flame war arguments <laughs> over who could kick whose butt, right? And and there'd be all this crazy stuff. You know, people would be like, you know, oh, well, I think so-and-so can beat up the authority. And I'm like, no, the doctor would just turn all those uh, missiles into flowers and, you know, or, or they talk about, you know, we, we'd get into arguments over, you know, Wolverine can dodge bullets. And then they'd be like, well, here's a panel from Robin issue 45 where he's dodging bullets. So clearly Robin has super speed and can dodge bullets. And you, you just did all this kooky stuff. And what I love about it is finding something like this is gold because it's like, look, like, like Gleek beat up the Time Trapper. And, <laughs> and you're like sitting there going, well, the Time Trapper, like, you know, killed Superboy and like he, he did all this like terrible stuff like in the DC universe and stuff like that. And there's this like epic being of power that's waiting for everybody at the end of time. But then you can sit there and point out, you know, it's kind of like, I guess, like, you know squirrel girl beating up dr doom or something like that you know and so the boxes right this is this is because everybody mocks uh you, you you've now seen the the transformers the movie so you remember the orange box his name was wheelie and he rhymed all the time like most people it's like wesley crusher with that guy like like with the wonder twins and stuff like most people hate that character okay and i love that character because earl norham did this painted storybook of him and it was like wheelie the wild boy of quintesson so i love wheelie and so what i'll always point to is why wheelie is is a total uh uh awesome character is him and daniel like lure this giant transformer it's like godzilla sized dinosaur trypticon and trypticon is like the scariest thing ever and so wheelie gets this idea he says okay i'm gonna taunt him and they're like what are you doing taunting him and he taunts him so that he smashes the bridge he's on and falls into this deep dark cavern and so that to me is this very david goliath thing and that's kind of how i view the wonder twins like undoing the time trapper in this as a, a very David Goliath thing, you know, like it's just awesome that like a, a character that may or may not be completely loathed by, I guess a, uh, a quote unquote serious fan audience, you know, like gets mm-hmm. the upper hand on a character that's supposed to be the, the ultimate big bad in the universe. So for, for me, like, I, I, I don't know why I just love that so much. Like I appreciate that. Like that, that, that Gleek is the one who, 
who takes out the time trapper. It's so awesome. Like, no. dude, you can't, you can't, you can't tell me like Xan and Jaina and Gleek are are worthless or useless or whatever because because they have that 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 feather in their cap. I'm like, hey man, like they beat up the time trapper. Like, mm-hmm. so they're they're super important. You said that the Legion fans have an out for this story. I want to hear about that in a moment. I don't want to hear it just yet. I'm dying when we get to that part because I'm dying to hear how how people manage to retcon that. That sounds fantastic. So we do need to talk about this is, of course, the first non-Ramona Frayden issue of Super Friends. It's drawn, penciled by Kurt Schaffenberger. It's got the same maker, Bob Smith. But uh, here we've got Kurt Schaffenberger filling in. And, I mean, he's a natural choice. Uh, He had a very family-friendly style. He had been doing – the Superman, Mr. Mrs. Superman uh, strip in the Superman mm, family. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he was, and he did the Lois Lane comic for uh, probably decades almost. So it's a natural choice uh, here. Uh, overall, I like this work a lot. Um, I miss Ramona Frayden just because she's one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, but, but nevertheless, I think he does a good job here. It's it, everything is, everything looks really sharp. I really love the splash page of Tuatara. Uh, where he's using his third eye to, to look mm-hmm. through time. And I love the positioning of Superman, where he's standing there and he's kind of like a ta-da! Like, he's yes. kind of like, yes. hey, everybody, here's Tuatara. Well, first of all, everybody's met Tuatara already because we already had those issues with the, the nascent Global Guardians. But it's, it is sort of like done in like a proscenium style where he's presenting him to the audience where it's like, hey, kids, for those of you who didn't read Super Friends a year ago, here's Tuatara. And it just, there's something very meta about the way Superman is like just presenting yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, kind of like how they used to do that on covers, you know, like how yep. Batman introduces Robin or, or what have yep. you, right? Like it's it's very jumping like, through those hoops and the, yeah, the little yeah, the little here, paper here, thing. Here's yeah. Tuatara, like basically solving our dilemma of of where you know what time periods we have to traverse to. I love that they got him all the way from New Zealand and he's in two panels. Like that's it. He's back and boom and then he's done. Uh, and then they go on their their adventure. One of the weird things about uh, I do want to mention Kurt Schaffenberger though. One of the he draws Batman weird. Um, he tends to draw. I don't know if you noticed this or it even bothered you at all, Derek. But he tends to draw Batman's ears, his cowl ears, like they're slightly curved, as opposed yeah, to everyone I, else draws them straight up. His look kind of more like devil horns, yeah, because they yeah. just have a slight curve to them. Yeah, no, I, I totally see that. Like, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. And, and, and yeah, they definitely, I think it's because, I, I think it's because most people, when, uh, when, when you draw Batman from the reverse, it's usually like the, the back of the ear is incorporated into the back of the head, mm-hmm. but these look more like they're coming out of the side of his yep. head. Yep. And totally. that's, I think that's where you're, you know, why, why you have that kind of like, you know, Scooby-Doo, like, huh? like why, why? Yeah, and you know what that kind of reminds me of? I mean, it, it's almost like that old, you know, and I, I, you know, I don't know, maybe 70% Bob Kane. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't want to get into that, but like, you know, the, the first appearance Batman with the purple gloves, like yep. the way his ears kind of, you know, jut out to the sides yep. or even, yep. even kind of the, the laughable ears in the, the, the serials, the movie serials, mm-hmm. they kind of just poke out to the side. Like, like it's more <laughs> to me, this, this, that version of the ears is more reminiscent of those than say, you know, I don't know, something that, you know, Michael Keaton would wear or, you, you know what I mean? Like yeah, where it yeah. just, it just juts, like you said, you said it's straight. And I think also it has that, that, 
dynamic where the ears are part of the back of the head, not jutting out of the sides of his head. Yeah, over over in Batman, Jim Apparel was drawing them ramrod straight, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But here they're just they have the ever so slightly kind of devil feel to them. So Professor Nichols uses hypnosis to send the Super Friends back in time. How is that supposed to work? How, what, huh? Why? How does? I, I feel like that's a trope. Like, like I, I can't even cite it, and I didn't even bother to look it up. But I feel like I feel like they've done that before in different things. Like where they, they, they. I, I can't remember if it was on the Super Friends cartoon or some other cartoon or something. But I, I swear I've seen that before. Like, I mean, I guess it's. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, I. It, I feel like it's foolish, you know, it's like madness to try to explain it. You just kind of say, yes, hypnosis. Yes. They go back in time. Like, like who cares? But like, I I think it's supposed to be like, Oh, you know what it might've been? Was it, was it, there was, I want to say maybe it was the Brady Bunch cartoon because, like, they meet Wonder Woman and then yeah, they, they go back to, in like, time with Wonder Woman. Yeah, they, they have to go back in time. I, I swear, maybe the Brady Bunch got hypnotized <laughs> or something. I don't know, man. Like so, something like that totally happened before. But what, what, why it makes sense and how it makes sense, like, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, but, it's like we. I mean, if you if you're gonna go with the idea that yet people can travel through time. Uh, then okay, the super friends are using ships to break the time barrier. Okay, that's dodgy science, but fine. But hypnosis, that's just happening in their minds. It's not, they're not literally affecting anything. Well, it's just in their heads. I guess, I guess it's supposed to be, I know this is going to be an oxymoron, but I guess it's like, it's like supposed to be like Dr. Strange's astral form, but made solid in the past. I, I guess so. I know, I, I know that's, I know that's, I know that's brain numbingly stupid, but that's, that's, that's the only explanation I have. Yeah. Again, you can't, you can't get dog. This is a 17 page story. You can't get too bogged down in, in right, these right. details. So Superman and Aquaman go back to Atlantis and it begins to shake. And once again, it's like kind of like how Superman was pretty, has, has, has been pretty, uh, relaxed about going back to his home planet just before it explodes. Atlantis, Aquaman is like, Oh wow, this is Atlantis. It all seems so foreign. It's like, kind of a big deal that you're in your you're in this your your past you're presumably some of your relatives are here and you're just like well it's about to shake and might blow up well all right that's what happens it leads to an interesting sequence on page four where we have superman flying Mm. above atlantis and it's a full page shot and it is to my memory the first full page shot in an entire run of super friends to this point and you know the i've been we've been talking about every issue that how jam-packed these stories are i mean enelson birdwell is writing 30 pages of plot for a 17 page story. And so Ramona Frayden really never had time or space to do a full page shot like this. But yet Kurt Schaffenberger obviously felt he could pace it in a way to give you this kind of, uh, you know, bird's eye view shot of Superman. It's it's like a, like a postery image. And uh, I, I like it. It's, it's nice just because it's so unusual for super friends. Well, and I, I I think, I, I think too, like, this is not, I, I I think a splash page I'm really fond of I think is from Thor four ninety one and it's like Thor holding up a building and it's not you know I don't I don't mean to be derogatory or anything but it, it's not a splash page that's necessarily designed for being sold on the aftermarket where it's just mm-hmm. like a cool pinup like mm-hmm. yes it's it's kind of a pinupy shot of Superman but it's part of the story because he's he's getting that bird's eye view yep. and, and you get to see the, the entire 
cities and continent of Atlantis. So you can you can see what he suspects, right? And and now it's really clear, like, oh look, the 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 mountain and the the vibration and you know, Superman wants to know what's going on and everything, and he knows that some some kind of nefarious machine is the culprit and that kind of thing. Like so I you know, to me at least it's it's done with with a purpose for the story. And and it also kind of lets you experience the 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 grandeur of Atlantis before it sunk too mm-hmm. because you you get to have that moment of like you know maybe like if this was a movie they do this like you know quickly panning forward motion so that you see the entire you know continent or whatever and it's 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 running past you or something like that but it's like you you need it, it's a cool way to have like an epic establishing shot, but also sort of, you know, give you the story point of Superman's vantage point and perspective. So, yeah, I mean, that, you know, I guess, you know, and and you can't always say that for every single splash page, I guess is what I'm getting at. You know, it, it, it looks like a really excellent splash page, but it also serves the the narrative of, of the story. Yeah, yeah, right, completely. It's not just a, a pinup for its own its own sake. But again, when I was going through these issues, I was like, whoa, I've never seen that before. It's super French. Ramona Freighton was jam-packed. Sometimes was doing, you know, eight panels in a page just to get it all done. And here, Kurt Schadfucker was like, oh, you know what? I can open this up a little bit, which is it's a nice change of pace. Speaking of nice poses, on the very next page, um, when Superman and Aquaman head under the water, I love the way Kurt Schadfucker draws Aquaman dunking into the water with his mm. arms behind him as a, normally everybody draws him with the arms out, like he's flying, but here he's like a dolphin and he's plunking in. And you know, if, if, uh, if somebody had wanted to, if DC had needed some Aquaman stock art, you really could have taken this pose and yeah. just separated from the rest of the panel and made it a stock shot. Cause it's, it's very graceful and you get to see Aquaman kind of in great profile. I love that shot of, of Aquaman. It's really, really sharp. Yeah, you could totally see that on on the, uh, you know, and anything that 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 Chris has brought up on the the wonderful toys right. segment, <laughs> yeah. like you could totally see like this this could be a piece of stock art on like you know it's like quick kids get your you know w- w- what are those games they used to have where you would put the marbles in the right spots? It's like there could be like a bunch of seashells and you have right. to put the little <laughs> metal balls in the seashells. It's like get your Aquaman seashell game, and then there's a picture oh, man, of Aquaman love just that. like this on the on the front of the the cardboard backing or something. Like I could totally see that going down oh i can see this on a slurpee cup or the side of amigo box mm-hmm. anything that mm-hmm. had a vertical yeah, uh, or, yeah. Or, or or you know orientation that would have been great yeah it's a really it's a really solid drawing so then aquaman calls in the pipefish, uh which is able to i love that um superman once says if only the elongated man were here which is not something people say a lot but uh <laughs> nevertheless <laughs> uh <laughs> i mean no 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 shade to ralph devney i love ralph but nevertheless just you know Superman saying, if only elongated man were here. That's not something you typically would hear anybody say. They call in the pipefish, which is very helpful. And then they talk about there's this weird detail, and it's going to happen three times throughout the book, where um, after they get rid of the, the machine, Aquaman says, what? We're fading. We're turning to our own time. And it's obviously not uh, on the wishes of, of the heroes, but yet they're not fading. Uh, mm. Kurt Schaffenberger did not draw them with, like, dashed lines or the colorist did not draw them faded. So it's yeah. like, it's weird. Yeah. That they, and it happens in all three iterations of the characters where they say we're fading, but you're like, well, you're not really, you just have to buy that they're fading because they're saying they're fading. 
Yeah, it sound it, it seems like you know it, when, when you see like original art, usually there's all kinds of notes and notations and stuff, or you know you know how they would draw like you know little x's for the blacks yeah. their or legs would like start that. to disappear there, like the there, cross there, there, or something. there must have been some kind of symbol that they could have used to inform either the colorist or somebody like okay like like only color up to you know aquaman's belt buckle right and the exactly. rest of it'll yep. just be an outline or something like that but it's like they, they they you know only color up to you know the middle of superman's chest emblem or something you know what i mean and then, mm-hmm. then you could have bought it more but i guess you know, the, the memo didn't go out, you know, somebody missed that or whatever. You know, I, I like the panel next to it though. Cause it's like Superman doing what he does best. He throws, throws Throwing crap into, into the space. sun. Yeah. 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 It's like, I'm taking this to the sun. It's like, Oh, that's, that's classic, classic Superman. It really like, is. You got a problem, throw it into the sun. That's the end of it. You know, so much junk being thrown in the, in the sun's way, just from Superman alone. Um, so now we go into Spain and we have Wonder Woman and Robin making sure that uh, Ferdinand will meet Isabel. They fight these sort of sentient uh, knights with this uh, robots and stuff. And uh, uh, Robin, uh, Robin kicks over the one guy and we see that his body just falls over and it's just empty. They're just, they're automatons. And that, of course, allows Aquaman, uh, excuse me, uh, allows Robin and Wonder Woman to, to bust heads with impunity because they're not really people. I, so that- I, I love it because this is, this is, and, and I know people are going to get mad at me for this, but this is, this is the HBO Max Robin right here. He's like, you're not alive. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to murder you all then. <laughs> you're nothing like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to box, you know, like, yep. Ready to take them all out. So I, I, I kind of thought that was funny. He's like, he's like, if you're not alive, so much the better. We don't have to be careful because there's no danger of killing you. You know, like so. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's cool. I you dig know. it. Yeah, I like it a lot. So, and then we go into the Michigan and Batman and Zan and Jaina help uh, rescue young Tom Edison. Again, I love that uh, that that when young Tom Edison discovers these three. And there's the, at one point he says, what fancy, fancy costumes, you actors or something. And they're like, uh, not exactly. We'd rather hear about you. And he's like, Oh, okay. And he just keeps going. Like, I don't, I, you know, I mean, I guess that's a good enough excuse for young Tom Edison. I, I don't know, but. He, he's again like in a lot of characters in superheroes you just roll with things he's just he, like, all right that's he, yeah he, he rolls with the punches he's yeah. he's fine they seem they seem of a friendly sort you know yeah they, they, they don't even yeah they don't they don't even have the you know batman doesn't even do the captain kirk explanation you know it's like my friends are obviously chinese <laughs> obviously from out of town like it's like quick Zan, Jaina, wear this uh, beanie cap that I do. <laughs> Here's your point of like there's none of that, right? Yeah, yeah. And they work in the whole bit where they, this uh, this uh, railroad guy punches Tom Edison because he's like, get off the train next time, Tom Edison. And then there's the, the bit about that. that the historical gonna, note. The historical note. That he's like, Tom Edison says, my ears sure hurt. It's that boxing he just received will leave him deaf in one ear. Now to find the time trap. I'm like, that guy really hit Tom Edison hard, man. He punched him once and he made him ends up being deaf in one ear. Like, whew. I, I always liked how E. Nelson Bridwell took the opportunity again, uh, you know, no budget, right? Like they, that, that, uh, you know, th- they have the ice tracks for, for Zan, but then Jaina becomes a, a Graham fell. And then it's the little asterisk tells you like, this is a gigantic creature from Exor, you know? So it's <laughs> like, I, I always thought that was cool because, you know, if you, if you actually look, I mean, you know, it was all, you know, animals native to earth, right? Mm-hmm. Like she, she never turned into a dinosaur or, or a Gramfell or anything like that. But in this case, like there, he really just, you know, explored 
everything that their powers could possibly do. And I, I always thought that was to, to me, like, I don't know, that was sort of eye opening where I was like, if you just thought, you know, all, all Gina could do is turn into an Eagle and Zan, all he could do is turn into a bucket of water because that's what they did every damn Saturday. Right. Like then, <laughs> then, then you're like, okay, I can see why you're like, Oh, well, what's up with these guys. But then when you see her, like basically save this runaway train with her brother. You're like, look, like, look at how, you know, powerful they can be, you know, in this context. So I, I always thought that was super cool. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, Ian B was great at finding uh, DC historical stuff and he was great at finding historical stuff, you know, stuff from, from real world that you would know. And he manages to, to fit it in, which is a nice little detail. So then we're back in the present. I love when time trapper appears behind professor Nichols, he's got his hands on his hips and even though you never see Time Trapper's face, he you can sort of vision how annoyed he looks. He just looks kind of like, hmm, I'd rather doubt it, Professor. And then he zaps him with the thing, he zaps him with the ray gun, he stops him, and all the super friends are bound up on the chair. Not bound, but they're sitting in the chairs uh, sort of unconscious. And then Gleek steps in, wraps him around with his tail. By the way, Gleek's tail is very long. Yes. Because it wraps around Time Trapper four times yes. around a full time, a full size human. Four times. That is a very long tail. I don't get the sense. Maybe, that... maybe, maybe, maybe if Glee could come with them. See, right. Instead the of the right, Glee instead of elongated man. Yeah. The latch. If only Glee were here. Uh, so, so, and then again with the body language, I love in the the third, the mid tier panel on the final page that uh, Time Trapper just has his head down. He just looks defeated. <laughs> he just looks embarrassed. He's like, <laughs> I was easy. Oh, who, who wouldn't be embarrassed? He's like, I was pwned by Gleek the monkey. Come on. He, he can't live that down. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, I was defeated by Gleek. It's great. Again, it's so much great body language on Kurt Schavenberger's part, even though you've got a character yeah. who, whose face you'd never see. And that's, then he... That's, oh, that's one of those things that's like like funny but great about the time trapper. It's like it, you know what it reminds me of. It reminds me of like like strictly speaking, right? Spider Man in his mask shouldn't be able to emote, right? Yeah, like Nico Spider Man, right? right. But, yeah, yeah. But they they do things with like his eyes and the way they grow large and small, and they they manage to to give you some kind of expression. And I feel like all the the really good artists who work on time trapper, whether it's you know. Schaffenberger or you know I'm thinking of stuff that I've seen from like Giffen where you know it, it com- combination of like the dialogue and the way the 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 mask ruffles and scrunches or the body language like you can kind of get you know somebody you know if he's perturbed or deadly or annoyed or in this case you know totally ashamed right because Gleek beat him <laughs> up you know like so yeah. Great. And they said it ends with Superman talking about the controllers, which is like a deep cut. You know, I mean, I mean, yeah. if you're a Legion fan, you know who they are. Uh, but I mean, most I guess most people that were reading Super Friends were like, what the hell is he talking? I like I like that the, the Super Friends are so immersed in the DC universe that you can end a story as kind of a reference of other characters. Like, what a weird way to like, oh, you should see these other guys they are even more impressive, which I'm almost surprised it doesn't end with a little thing saying, go see the controllers in Legion of Superheroes, like sell the book a little bit. Ian, yeah, like, or, tell him where where can I see the controllers? Yeah, or even like go check out that treasury, you know? Like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No reason not to sell that thing. So, okay, uh, you said that the Legion fans have an out. For, oh yeah, for, yeah. for Time Trapper. So I got to hear this. How does oh, this okay. all work out? So, so yeah, most people don't want to touch Time Trapper with like a ten foot pole, but this is this this is here. This is the breakdown, right? Like so, so the Time Trapper starts out as kind of like he, he's similar to Mordru, right? Like his 
quote unquote first appearance if you don't count the Wonder Woman connection that Bridwell makes here. Like he's just talked about in hushes and whispers, you know, like, <laughs> like I remember that when I was like researching Mordrew, it's like, they talk about Mordrew. He's this big, bad, scary thing that lives in a steel box. that's going to break <laughs> out someday. And they've somehow faced him like millions of times before. But then you, you, you kind of look into the history and go, they've never faced him before this. Like they talk about it as if they've faced him before. So it's like Mordrew and time trapper were these quote unquote, long time legion, foes they were deadlier than deadly but you never really saw them and then eventually when you do see him he's a guy in like a white cloak or a phantom looking cloak and then eventually he becomes the guy in the purple cloak and everything and i think the idea was he was supposed to be you know you're supposed to get into the mystery of like who is this hooded guy and why is he so evil and why is he out to destroy the legion and all this kind of stuff and so in that treasury that the, the the Legion exclusive treasury where where Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl get married. Right. The the Time Trapper is one of the main bad guys, and you know spoilers. The, the 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 in that the Time Trapper is revealed to be one of the controllers. He's a rogue controller, so that's why Superman's like, oh, we will we'll send him back to the controllers and they'll take care of him because he's supposed to be this this you know rogue controller. That that's that was the first reveal of his identity, unless unless you count E. Nelson Bridwell calling him the Time Master from the Wonder Woman comics, right? But so he's 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 one of these or both of these, but he's a controller. But kind of like I guess that controller ends up becoming like the the Lefty Donovan or Flash Thompson to the Hobgoblin, like 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 he, he's a stooge, like like. Because, and it could be twofold, right? Like one, I think it, it was horribly embarrassing that he got beat up by Gleek, right? That's, that's number one. But even if, even if you, you buy into this, uh, you know, false narrative that this is Earth 1A and not Earth 1, right? Like even if you say that the Super Friends universe is its own universe, so Gleek didn't beat up the real Time Trapper, like in the Great Darkness Saga, the Time Trapper is imprisoned on the, the 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 Legion prison planet. It's like Tacron Gallos or something like that. And and so he gets his power stolen by Darkseid. Like that that's how that whole Great Darkness like the Great Darkness saga is basically Darkseid like curb stomping all the big bads of the Legion. Like, you know, he he may you know he's like, oh Mordrew, like you're not you're not hot stuff. Like Time Trapper, you're not hot stuff. And you're sitting there going, holy crap, like whoever this is, he's 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 taken out every single big bad that the Legion's ever had. Like, how are the Legion going to beat this guy? And then, you know, the ultimate reveal, which nobody knew at the time, it turns out to be Darkseid. And everybody's like, oh, you know, and all this stuff. So, again, whether it's Gleek or Darkseid, like, Time Trapper got curb stomped. And the Time Trapper in that sequence was the the controller that was revealed in the Treasury. However... There's a, a mini series that came out, and for context, it, it came out. It's called Legionnaires Three, and that came out like the the same month that the Crisis Seven, where Supergirl dies, came out. Mm-hmm. So it's like that. It's it's in that time frame or whatever. And in that, basically, and it'll make this kind of simple. But basically, they reveal the controller version as a Doombot because the the real time Trapper shows up. Everybody is literally like pissing their pants for when the real time trapper walks through the door 
and and he says, you know, take me to my imposter or whatever, you know, and it's like, and and then you see this guy sitting there like sheepishly like, I'm sorry, master, like, I didn't mean to. And they take off his hood and it's the controller guy. And he's like, didn't I give you everything you needed to, you know, be my imposter? Like, weren't you supposed to take care of the Legion for me? Like, weren't you supposed to do all this stuff? Oh, I can do better next time. And it's like, nope, no next time. Like, you know, you're you're a loser. And I think, I forget, but he like, the, the, the quote unquote real time trapper in that like atomizes like all kinds of people. Like he's, he's like really bad. So like, I, I presumably Gleek could not uh, take on that time trapper, but that's, I, I would say that's probably there. You know, that, that would be the out, right? That the, 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 the Gleek, the, the, the Gleek defeated time trapper is just a, uh, you know, a quote unquote doom bot. Or <laughs> okay. All right. It's no more unreasonable than going back in time via hypnosis. So, okay, right, that's right, fine. Right, it worked right. perfectly fine. So, wow. Uh, that's, that was, that was a, that was a super deep cut and I, I appreciate it there. Um, so, um, okay. So who, uh, we talked about in the previous issue, we, you voted that, um, uh, that Wonder Woman was your best friend in the previous issue. I said Aquaman, who is your best friend for this issue? Of super I'm, I'm going to give it to Aquaman. I, I, I like the whole, you know, he, he's the one who, who fixes the whole vibration thing. Like he's the one who, uh, does the whole thing with the pipe fish. I mean, I, I figured this would be something cool for you too. Cause it's to, to me, I mean, he's the one who solves the whole, you know, I don't know, weapon of mass destruction, disaster device, like whatever you want to call it that like he, he, he literally like, as opposed to Superman, they have to let Krypton explode. Right. Like, like, you know, in the, the other segment like this, he literally saves Atlantis mm-hmm. in the past. So I, I, I thought that was to me, like that's, that's going to be, you know, I mean, it was either it was either between Aquaman or, or Robin, you know, going to town on the, the suits of armor. But I, I, to me, I think Aquaman is the, the standout super friend here. Fair enough. I almost gave it to Aquaman, too, for that reason. But I didn't want to give it to Aquaman two months in a row. And so my 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 not my uh, winner for the best friend award is Robin, uh, because he is given so much sort of personality in that sequence where he does see that these are just automatons and they're, they're not alive. And he really decides to go to town and yeah. he is wonderfully rendered by Kurt Schaffenberger. I mean, I, I don't think Kurt Schaffenberger had a particular history with the Batman characters in any way. This is not like it's Superman where he was familiar with drawing Lois Lane or whatever. But I mean, here I love when Robin swings from a tree and he's done in like three, like it's like flash motion. There's three mm. Robins swinging. That looks yeah, great. He's got he's got like the after image. Yeah, I'm the after guys, image. I'm telling you guys, Robin has super speed. He can dodge <laughs> bullets, and he's got an after image. Come on, yeah, that's fantastic. I'm totally he, he, using this. Yeah, he kicks the guy off the horse, and he's like, "Yikes, he broken too." And then he's punching the rum. And then in the the um, the 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 panel on page ten, where they're standing there amid the bric-a-brac of the uh, of the robots, he's standing there with his hand on his hip. And his yellow cape is mm-hmm. draped over his arm, which, look, it's hard to make Robin look cool. We know that because of his costume compared to at least compared to Batman. George Perez, though, would really get a lot of yeah. mileage out of that cape where he would draw the cape almost like half over his mm-hmm. body to make him look cool. And here's Kurt Schaffenberger doing it a full like two years before George Perez would in New Teen Titans. So yeah. it's like just on the visuals alone, I gave it to Robin because – 
he just looks kind of badass. In yeah, this yeah, scene. he does. He does. Issue. He looks super cool in this. Yeah, yeah it looks really cool. So, uh, okay, the villain roundup. Obviously, we've already talked about Time Trapper and why this is not even the real Time Trapper. Uh, but but obviously, said this is a villain that uh, D, that uh, NB, NB was using uh, from the greater DC universe as opposed to creating one of his own. So, I mean, it works just fine. He is, you know, yeah, he is eliminated pretty quickly by Gleek in one page, but okay. Otherwise, the time jumper would be fairly fearsome. The one last thing I wanted to mention about this issue was on the letters page, which I found very interesting, was that somebody writes in and, and inquires about the relative locations of Metropolis and Gotham City to one another. Mm. And Ian B says Metropolis is across the bay from Gotham. And I, to my memory, I'm like, is this the first time that was established in canon? I don't remember it's, that it's being weird. a thing before now. Like, well, yeah, I don't... I, I'd have to look into it. Like I remember the, 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 the there are those odd things. Like so, sometimes like, cause if, I don't know, I'm like, if you look at the DC Atlas, right? Like, but that's all post-crisis. Right. But if you look at the DC Atlas, it's ridiculous because I think like, you know, Gotham is, you know, New Jersey. It's in New Jersey. Yeah, and, it's in and, New and, Jersey and Metropolis yeah. is kind of like, you know, it's in Delaware, Delaware, you know, like that, that kind of thing where you're like, dude, there's no way. So like for years, they talked about how the hall of justice had to be in Gotham city because Batman drives there. Right. Like, <laughs> like, so that, that would only make sense. And then later it seemed like the hall of justice for sure was in Metropolis. And then, and then I don't know if that's why they constituted this thing, like Metropolis and Gotham are across the bay from each other. Like I remember it specifically, like the first time I noticed it when I was reading as a kid was the Steve rude world's finest. Like, oh, I love that series. series. Like, like that made it like abundantly, like there's, he does this like really nice, almost image of like look that here like not so much a parallel of like look here's superman here's batman how they're night and day or whatever but it was like literally like here's the dark grimy gotham city and then here's the bay and here's like the golden glistening you know world of tomorrow that is metropolis you know and you could see like in in almost a single panel you know and then there's like the i think the part of the plot is you know there's this orphanage that's like on the border of the two or something <laughs> like that. And I think that's how, you know, Clark and Bruce, you know, end up, you know, connecting or whatever, something like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure like this, this must be an early reference to that, but I'm yeah. not sure, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if that ever came up in things like world's finest or what. Yeah. I don't, I was, I might said my head sort of snapped back when I saw that, I'm like, wow, that seems really early that they were establishing it. So Metropolis is the Gotham to what Gotham is to Bloodhaven. Essentially, right? It's the downbeat version of the of that city. I I, I guess. I mean, because because you know they they always made it seem like Metropolis and Gotham were both New York, but but Metropolis was you know the best of New York, and and I don't know for la- lack of a better term, Gotham was was some of the worst things about it. You know, like I don't I don't know. Like that's that that might be too simplistic a view of it, but like you know that that's why they that's why they talk about. Like even in this letter column, right? They say New York and Gotham are quote unquote twins, not because they're next to each other, you know, like, so, but, but, you know, I mean, that, that does frequently occur in media where it's conveniently across the bay from, you know, they're, they're across the bay from one another. Right. Like, 
That way they can fight Doomsday and no one will yeah, get hurt. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> well, Derek, I mean, thank you so much for uh, making two appearances in a row on For All Mankind. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while, and now you did two in a row talking about this this two-parter. It was, uh, it's always loads of fun uh, podcasting with you, so thank you so much for coming by. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Like, this is super fun, super cool. Like, I, I, I dig it. I dig the Super Friends. I, I dig getting a chance to talk about them with you. All right, excellent. So why don't you tell people where they can find you on the Internet? Yeah, sure. Uh, people could find me uh, for the uh, Chronological History of Comics on Film at uh, HOCOF. That's short for History of Comics on Film, hocof.blogspot.com. And if they want to listen to podcasts, there's all kinds of podcasts over on the Fanholes Podcast Network. That's fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. Perfect. Okay, everybody. Absolutely check out History of Comics on Film. They're just amazing videos. Uh, I watched a ton of them uh, one day at my old job instead of working. And I watched like 40 in a row. They're just <laughs> amazing. You just go down that rabbit hole. They're just amazing. The, the amount of sure work and knowledge on display. And those are, are just amazing. So everybody, if you haven't checked those out, please, please do. So uh, always, okay. always happy to help make the work day go quick. Absolutely. It was, it was a great couple of days. So uh, <laughs> in lieu of working. So, okay, everybody stay tuned. I'm going to play some commercial announcements. And when I come back, I will be joined by Chris Franklin for yet another installment of, for all merch kind, stay tuned. Listen, Doc, there's nothing like a little Saturday morning TV to get you off to a good start. First, hey, look, it's the Bugs Bunny Show. Then, Yogi's Gang. Super Friends. Lassie's Rescue Rangers. Goober and the Ghost Chasers. Mission Magic. Saturday mornings on ABC. Watch them all, Doc. And we're back with another installment of For All Merch Kind. And that means Chris Franklin is here. Hi, Chris. Hey, Rob. How's it going? It's going great. Glad to have you back for another episode of For All Mankind, talking about some Super Friends merch. Now, this uh, piece of Super Friends merchandise, or pieces, I should say, of Super Friends merch, these, uh, I was uh, completely unfamiliar with these, uh, but you submitted them. You thought it would be fun to talk about them. So why don't you tell everybody what we're going to be talking about this time? Well, we're back to the company NASTA, which we talked about those Super Friends games before where Aquaman <laughs> wasn't featured, which, uh, mm. uh, <laughs> much to Rob's ire. Uh, but these are NASTA. children's sunglasses (laughs) Um, they were uh, you know they fall into our buddy Brian Heiler's rack toy uh, area here Uh, I don't know about you Rob but when I was a kid I must have had a ton of these plastic sunglasses uh, over the years I would just like you know it was it literally was one of those impulse item buys I think my you know my mom literally was just like yeah you can have it just to shut up it was a shut me up toy as I think Brian has said too yeah so uh, did you have these type of things a lot of a lot of novelty sunglasses at, at one point oh sure yeah I mean anytime and then we'll talk about it for these particular ones it was it was the perfect item that a merchandiser had sitting in a warehouse somewhere and uh, with minimal effort, you could slap a character or logo on it and sell it as a blank sunglasses and move a couple. And so I'm sure that I had some Star Wars sunglasses and Superman sunglasses. And yeah, and, and as you talk about, like the price point for these things are so low that any parent would be willing to shut their kid up for an hour or two for, for you know, the cost of like 94 cents. I mean, it was, these things were so cheap because uh, that's what rack toys are meant to be. So, yeah, I definitely had a lot. I can't remember anything specific 
because like they never had Aquaman sunglasses. But uh, but I'm I'm sure that my parents bought me lots of novelty sunglasses in the, over the course of the seventies. Yeah, the one the ones that I remember that weren't um, that weren't label slapping. There was a set of uh, uh, Spider Man sunglasses that looked like his eyes. That's had, pretty cool. They look like they look like kind of like the you know the cat glasses of the sixties kind of mm-hmm, in a way. Mm-hmm. But but they were they were cool. But no, these are from NASTA, and the first one we're talking about is a set of uh, Super Friends glasses, sunglasses that feature Batman. And what's really interesting about this is this is kind of um, the the era that this come out in. I, I'm pretty sure there's earlier versions of this uh, these sunglasses with different packaging art. Uh, but my daughter actually found these uh, at a um, antique and toy mall uh, near Louisville, Kentucky, that we went to um, a few weeks ago. And uh, she found it and said, "Hey, hey, Daddy, there's a there's a set of Super Friends glasses like <laughs> over here." And I'm like, "Where?" Uh, so <laughs> so we ran over there and and uh, you know I got them. But what's really cool is th- this is from 1982. The year of the fable, the fable DC style guide, yes. and it features artwork by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his, his name. And so it says Super Friends, but it's you know it's a artwork that we mostly associate with superpowers. Yep. But of, but of course, there's that two year gap there. So I, I just thought it was really interesting to have this kind of as an artifact of the great transition from um, you know the the DC stock art. Uh, you know, of, of the different eras that they would like, you might get a Carmine Infantino uh, Batman, but you might get a Neil Adams Superman on the same <laughs> package, or you might even get go back to like an early Kurt Swan, almost Wayne boring looking Superman. And, you know, who knows where Wonder Woman came from on the packaging. Now we're in the, the beautiful, but honestly homogenized style guide, uh, which, you know, kind of in a way is kind of loses some of the charm you know the the fun of like the the cherry picking but but yeah it's it's still fun it's just a white it looks like the other nasta things that that i brought to the show that's white with the red nasta logo and the the batman sunglasses are blue and as rob pointed out all they've done is take a <laughs> sticker of Batman's face, also by JLGL PBHN, PBHN, and, and just slap it right in the middle of it. So it's not; it doesn't it doesn't look like Batman's cowl. It doesn't have any fins or ears. It's just yeah, it's just blue sunglasses with the sticker slapped on them. So yeah, <laughs> I, I do find it curious that they felt the need to put the Super Friends logo on this thing when it really could have just been Batman sunglasses. Right now, Batman is enough of a brand that I mean, I always figured that you slap Super Friends on something if there's more than one character that yes. that makes it Super Friends. But this could have just been Batman sunglasses. I don't, you know what I mean? Uh, the pose by JLGL PBHN is of course marvelous. It's Batman presumably like throwing a batarang. Maybe you don't see the batarang mm-hmm. uh, in the picture, but he's got that kind of like he's just hurled something, and it's a great shot. It's it says something about uh, JLGL's work, how iconic it is, that they would pick a pose that doesn't show Batman's chest logo, which is like that's the that's the moneymaker there. You know, <laughs> the, the whole reason that Batman has a yellow circle behind the bat was because they could mer- they could merchandise that. Yep. They realized they couldn't merchandise just a, a, a black bat. So the whole reason the yellow circle was added was for kind of mercenary reasons. And you would think that they would have picked a pose that features that, but then I guess they were like, ah, it's good enough. I mean, they, they wanted to find something a little squatter to fit it more into the, the card shape, 
But I mean, it's just very funny to me that like, ah, it's good. It's fine. It's fine. And they said the Super Friends logo is on there, which again, isn't necessary. And the Super Friends, you know, was still on. Yeah. And they said that these blue sunglasses. And of course they said, you'll see these images on, on the, on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Uh, I do, <laughs> I, I noticed there's the little warning where it yeah. says, don't look directly into the sun for long periods. Now, of course you think, do you really need to tell kids that? But of course, we recently had a president who didn't know that. So you, you do need to tell people these things. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, but I mean, it makes for a handsome package. It absolutely does. You've got the classic Batman logo from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just a sharp looking item. And it's, it's got the little Toys R Us tag. 94 cents. Can't yeah. beat it. Can't beat for, for that. Lo- to make your kid happy for no, not even a dollar. That's, yeah, you can't pass up that price. And the interesting thing is that Toys R Us price uh, sticker is actually printed onto the card. It's not really a sticker. It's part of the oh, card. Oh, really? So That's Toys R Us bought into this enough that they uh, that they printed custom, custom uh, cards for them. Um, oh, I did. Wow. I didn't and and now it's an artifact here in the U.S. because there's no more Toys R Us, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so sadly, I mean, there's Toys R Us in Canada and I think other countries, but not not here in the U.S. So, yeah, huh. it's uh, so that just added the little appeal to it. Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> okay. So now, okay, flash forward. We've got just two years later, and we have Wonder Woman sunglasses. Except things have changed. Yes, this, these are now in 1984. Same uh, from the same style guide uh, by JLGL PBHN, mm-hmm. uh, but it is now Superpowers sunglasses, uh, <laughs> and it looks just like the Superpowers cards, the yep. the action figure packaging. Yep. It's yep. it's the blue with the the red bands with the yellow stars and the yellow, uh, lots of yellow, uh, red, blue, and yellow all over it. And uh, of course, it's got the Superpowers logo. It's got the Wonder Woman logo from the from the eighties with the the double W uh, symbol, uh, you know, cause that was new in 1982 as well. Uh, there's, I thought, I think it's interesting that the font for sunglasses is exactly the same. It's the exact, <laughs> it is, same, yeah. the exact same lettering across the, so that didn't change. Uh, but uh, I will say Wonder Woman got a, a little more respect here because uh, NASA actually, uh, you know, went to, to the trouble of, uh, you know, molding the uh, Wonder Woman symbol onto the sunglasses. It's yeah. not just a sticker. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, these are a little more crafted, obviously. I, I'm guessing that the, the, those sunglasses, again, already existed, and then they just made a separate piece and just glued it on. But they make, you know, they went to the effort. They're, they're a lot more stylized uh, or stylish uh, as sunglasses than the Batman ones are, for sure. And we actually get two shots of JLGL artwork because we get that pose where she's flying, and then we get the little inset shot, which is like something out of Who's Who. Yeah. So uh, overall, I, I mean, I like the Batman package, but overall – this is even a slicker product. And you're right. It does look exactly like a superpowers action figure card. I mean, yeah. it, you could just put it in this next to it and it would look, and that like you were talking about, yeah, it loses something and it, it loses these products, lose their individuality. Once you start including style guide stuff, because then you don't have just some rando graphic designer deciding what to put on the package, but you, it's hard to argue. This is a slick looking product. Oh yeah, yeah. The superpower stuff's gorgeous. It's the the things they do now with the 
the awful DC style god stuff where they just have a color and slap the symbol on it. That's, I mean, the, the current Mego figures are just horrible, the packaging. <laughs> and I know the guys that have to do that, and they, they lament that they're stuck sticking to that style guide. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but, but, uh, yeah, this is, it's gorgeous. And in fact, this is, this is actually Cindy's item. Uh, my wife, Cindy, uh, but, but she puts it right next to her carded, uh, superpowers, wonder woman figure, uh, you know, so, and and the weird thing is, this is again, labeled, uh, Toys R Us, um, you know, right on the package. And Cindy and I, when we were in college, um, went over into Huntington, uh, West Virginia to the Toys R Us there. Like this was in 1990, probably seven. This was still on the, the shelf. At the wow. Toys R Us in Huntington. Yeah. Still sitting there for <laughs> 99 cents or whatever. And so we couldn't believe we found Superpowers merchandise, like vintage 1984 Superpowers merchandise, like, you know, 15 years later on the shelf. So we, yeah, we had to gobble that. We gobbled it up and like, oh God, we can't get to the cash register fast enough. You yeah. Know? That's yeah. really cool. I, I love finding, I love going to old stores and you find an item that you're like, clearly no employee has come by this rack in five years and done anything with it. Cause this merchandise is still the same stuff that's been sitting here. There's right. something, there's something, it's like the shop in gremlins or something. <laughs> it's like this <laughs> hidden store. The, the, the closest experience I have to that, and it actually involves superpowers. Oddly enough was, um, there's a, a supermarket chain. Uh, well, there used to be around here. It's called Pathmark. I don't know if it, it was anything beyond the, the Northeast. Um, the, the, the actor James Karen from Poltergeist, uh, you only move the headstones. Uh, yeah. he used to do, he used to be the, the, the guy. He was the spokesman for the, the oh, movie. yeah. And, um, Pathmark, so Pathmark was around here. And, um, I remembered in around 19, this isn't as extreme an example as you just said, but I remembered sometime around 19, Pathmark had a toy aisle, not a, not a whole aisle devoted to toys, but it was like, you know, stationary magazines toy you know just kind of yeah. like the bric-a-brac stuff yeah and i remembered in i went to a path mark around 19 this would have been 87 or 88 i was still in high school and sitting hanging on a peg was a superpowers green lantern Ooh. in like 1988 i mean the toy line the line had been done for like three or four years by that point i couldn't believe, and i grabbed it and bought it yeah. I couldn't believe it i was like has no one gone down this aisle in three years? I could believe. And I ended up buying that Green Lantern, you know, for like a dollar ninety nine or whatever it was. Cause it was, you know, they kept like slapping stickers on it, trying to get it reduced so it would sell. Yeah. I just remember just being amazed. And I, I, I can remember that that path mark lasted for about five, six, seven more years. I can, I, I kid you not, there was not a time I did not go down that path mark aisle looking to see if any more superpowers figures showed up just in case somebody in the back pulled out a red tornado or something. I was just like, who knows what could happen? So, <laughs> so they pull I, out cyborg. Oh yes. my God. <laughs> I'm going to go to college with it. So uh, that, that's really cool. I love it. That that's you guys found that. That's, that's just amazing. Yeah, that's great. I, the, the closest, the, the other story that I had that's, that's really sweet like that is, uh, our Western Auto uh, store went out of business, like in the uh, here in town, went out of business in like the early '90s. I think I was in the I was in college by then, and I was home. You know, they were going out of business, so I went in there and checked around. And they didn't have a toy department except at Christmas. At Christmas, they would, you know, hardware store would put. Um, you know, toys out and they had, sure. bi- they always had bicycles. I, that's actually where I got my bicycle from as a kid. 
But, uh, you know, they were going out of business, and I guess somebody went into the back and found some old store stock, and there was a <laughs> Masters of the Universe battle ram in the box. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know. And that's a, so so I bought that sucker up, just you know, one, just one ma- battle ram, you know, from 1982. <laughs> and I had one. I still had mine, but I'm like, I'm buying this. And, and <laughs> And actually, I actually ended up, I don't sell a whole lot of stuff, but at the time I was in college, I'm like, I'm selling this. So I actually ended up selling it, trading it to a guy for, I think I might have traded it to a guy for some other stuff at a store or something, but I actually did, <laughs> I did, I did flip it, which, which is unusual for me. But yeah, it was, I wish I'd kept it, honestly, at this point. But yeah, man. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's great about Green Lantern. <laughs> that's, that's the, I have, I literally have dreams like that. I have, <laughs> I have dreams that we're on the road somewhere in some little small town and we go into this store and there's still superpowers figures on the <laughs> shelf. There's Mego figures. I, of course, I, <laughs> 40 years since Mego figures were on the shelf, but <laughs> although we're coming up close to superpowers being 40 years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it, it, I, I still, I still have that, those, those dreams. And, <laughs> and this is what it, it's just a pair of sunglasses, but it was really cool to, to, to actually find it actually happened. So, <laughs> Hey, hope springs eternal. You know, you never, right. you never right. can find. So, well, that that is awesome. But Chris, thank you so much for uh, for submitting these. These are really cool. I had never seen these particular items, and I, it is very instructive to look at these cards just two years apart, and you see the change. You know, it yeah. really is. It's like crisis post crisis. You know, yeah. we're like, okay, the Super Friends brand is just gone, and now it's all going to be superpowers. And good lord, they're still slapping superpowers logos on things now. Yes, even though that line doesn't exist. It's there's that brand is still kind of durable, so uh, it's, yep. it's amazing stuff. So, very cool. Thank you so much. Oh, it's uh, glad to bring it. And I do have one more thing to say these sunglasses do look like something Linda Carter might have worn in the 70s episodes of Wonder Woman, the 70s era episodes of Wonder Woman. So, <laughs> absolutely, they, are, they said they are very stylish. I could totally see this. So, yeah, so check them out over on our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. So, Chris, uh, once again, thank you so much for coming by and doing another installment of uh, For All March Kind with me. Thanks for having me, Rob. I love doing it. I'll always be glad to do it. Just, just uh, you know, put up the trouble alert, and here I am. <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right, everybody, stay tuned. I'm going to play some broadcast promos. When I come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. <laughs> the Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Baxter series. Five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series. We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. Why do you always have to say it that way? Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? And we're back with listener feedback, and this is going to be feedback for the previous episode of For All Mankind, which was episode 17, with my guest, Derek William Crabb, who, of course, you just heard on this episode as well. Uh, we're going to get right to the comments from the website, fryingwaterpodcast.com. First up is fellow network all-star Ryan Daly, who says, fun episode. I would like to hear Derek discuss more things that pre-crisis Superman could do with his leisure time, like build time machines and stuff. Hmm, maybe that would be a good Patreon-inspired episode. Who knows? Me seeing it, Derek, uh, involved in that. Sean M. Meyer says, Welcome to the podcast, Derek. You were great. I look forward to hearing you on the next episode as well. I like this issue a lot because of how the story is structured. It is a two-part story, but it doesn't end on a character in peril. Uh, cliffhanger, like so many continued stories, would back in the day. 
I'm sure every listener has a story of reading the first issue of a two-parter and then not getting the second half of the story until they were a grown-up and purchasing it from eBay or a comic book shop. I can help you out with some of your questions regarding the Superheroes Viewmaster packet that was sold by itself. The packet does contain the three reels from the gift set that covered issue number 17 of Super Friends. The Viewmaster packets of the time also included a 16-page booklet. Normally, the booklet would just tell the same story that was pictured in the reels, but for superheroes, the booklet is titled Their Superhero Stories and tells the origin of Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, Robin, and Aquaman. Each story is told in text with a headshot and then two or three panels, which I think were clipped from various comics. There's also a crossword puzzle and a true or false quiz. There's also an order form which unfolds to a massive 16 by 8 listing of about 400 Viewmaster packets. Of course, there are packets from cartoons and TV shows, but there are also ones that have classic tales, Bible stories, history, Walt Disney World and Disneyland, and tons of picture tours of the U.S. states and Asia, Africa and Pacific, Europe, Mexico Central and South Americas and Canada. Wow. Yeah, co-sign there, Sean. That sounds amazing. I've never seen any of that. That looks really cool. I know there are some Viewmaster-related blogs on the Internet. I'll have to check and see if there are photos of this. I couldn't find any when I did the initial research for this uh, for that episode. Uh, but maybe you have to dig a little harder because I'd love to see that stuff. That sounds uh, really fascinating. It's too bad that uh, podcasting is a <laughs> mostly uh, audio medium because a Viewmaster podcast would be kind of fun if you could just forget that uh, there's no visuals. Uh, Seller Dweller says, hello, super fans. Welcome to the podcast, Derek. Always nice to hear from another person who's considered the super friends to be canon and part of Earth One continuity of DC. I always hear how the stories, this series isn't Earth One based. And my opinion is that it's because some readers don't want Wendy Marvin and the twins to be part of that official history. Regarding Superman and his intellect during this time frame, it seems that DC has been making Batman the super genius and perhaps in an effort to make him look even smarter, dumbing down Superman. If his father, Jarrell, was an accomplished scientist with a high intellect, it would make sense that Superman would be able to follow that path. In fact, I would give the best friend award to Superman this issue, as it was his ships and boots that made both journeys possible. Very fair, Chuck. While he did like this story, this issue contained two tropes that annoyed me when they were used in the cartoon. The Wonder Twins needing to be rescued and never having them use their powers once in the issue slash episode. Thankfully, I think it was the only issue of the comic book that kept the twins powerless. Glad you like the submission to be used in For All Merch Guide. If I come across anything else, I will let you know. I often wanted Wonder Twins stuff as a kid. and was always angry that I could only find Wendy and Marvin merch. I would have been so happy with a set of Zan Underoos. Yeah, Chuck, I, we really do appreciate sending this stuff in. That was a great fodder for me and Chris to talk about. Edo Bosnar says, really enjoyed the show, gentlemen. Derek is indeed a great guest, and I also enjoyed his freight and commission anecdote. Rob, I have to say that I wouldn't have studied that splash page very closely if you had mentioned it, but now that I have, I could say that I agree with you. The professor and especially the wreckage in the foreground definitely have an EC look to them, and now I can't unsee it. Very weird. On the topic of Viewmasters, I had a few packages when I was a kid in the 70s, and then the novelty wore off for me. I always assumed that those went the way of the Dodo once home media options like VCRs became commonplace by the early 80s. I was completely surprised to learn that they were still being produced post-2000. It's kind of like learning that some businesses still use fax machines. Yeah, uh, true enough, Edo. Uh, except I, as I said to, to Chris at the time, I, I, Batman Forever Viewmaster reels? That's just completely shocking. A little Russell Burbage has another one of my favorite stories. Aquaman gets a big part, and the Time Trapper appears. What more could this Aqua Legion fan ask for? I do remember having to reread the part about Aquaman, Zan, Gleek, and Superman getting superpowers, uh, getting super superpowers under a blue sun, though. That part just confused the heck out of me, and I don't, still really don't think I understand it. So Ian B is saying that in any solar system with a blue sun, people born under a yellow sun or weaker, stronger, would get superpowers? 
funny how no solar systems in the 30th century ever had blue suns because I never heard of that bit before or since. Yeah, Russell, you probably can't think too much about it. I think it was just a way for Ian B to get himself out of a, uh, a writer's corner. Captain Entropy says, I don't have this one. Foiled by newsstand distribution and my mother's erratic shopping schedule. Or maybe Spider-Man got my change that week. Whatever. Anyway, Derek and Rob, you did an outstanding job of pulling me into the story, even though I'd never read it for myself. I especially enjoyed all the digressions and the discussion of Wonder Wing Woman, and merch kind was fun, as always. Bridwell and Frayden should have had a run on Diana's book. He portrays her as tough, decisive, and passionate, and Fraid makes her simultaneously gorgeous and imposing. Yeah, that's, that's a great idea, Captain. I love that idea. I love that idea a lot. Regarding his technique of using hypnosis to send people traveling through time, Professor Nichols says there's no reason it shouldn't work. But of course, he's exactly wrong. There's no reason it should work. It never makes a lick of sense, not even by the standards of Silver and Bronze Age comic book science. But who cares? It's super friends, and Burwell must respect the canon. I respect Lila's snarky acceptance of Krypton's fate. You've got a long sense ahead of you, you think? Bet, you're, bet you a solar chip you're wrong. Rob, you say the Silver Age heroes were more emotionally durable, but there are panels from the run in question where Superman was bawling his eyes out over Lila, his parents, and all of Krypton. If memory serves, Jerry Siegel was once again writing the list out of Krypton, and even more, Weinzinger admitted he was the best of his stable of writers. Siegel could draw out that pathos. I'm betting Cal told Diana the whole story over some, over some stiff Kandorian ale. Final thought. You know that if Aquaman hadn't been there, those water people would have ended up in the Phantom Zone. Great, Scott! Now that I think about it, I do only ever project people into one dimension. Uh, Chris Franklin, of course, from our network and uh, this very episode, says, fun discussion, gents. I love that Derek pointed out that Superman used to be super intelligent. 1986 really took Superman's IQ down several points, unfortunately. Too bad Batman didn't remember his bad take could time travel under its own power, as it did in the Super Friends animated series. I'm glad Derek mentioned Lila's role in For the Man Who Has Everything and Tim and company slightly merging that name with the look of Lana and the voice of Lois. Superman's perfect woman. At least she didn't resemble Kara in any way. Ugh. Mike Dinah says, well done on another great episode. Uh, Derek was fantastic and he had some great knowledge about Lila. As much as I have been enjoying For All Mankind, I never bought the comic as a kid, but I did enjoy the show. I'm mostly, I'm mostly here for the great Viewmaster talk with Chris. Man, I enjoyed my Viewmaster as a kid. Even with battling seizure robots on TV, I could still sit down with my Viewmaster and click through the various comic reels I had. Of course, my favorite being Shazam. I had no idea there was a talking Viewmaster, though. That sounds like tons of fun. I would have loved that as a kid. And with the Super Friends, no less. I would tune in if For All Merch Kind was a regular show. Well done again, gentlemen. Keep up the great work. Yeah, I mean, between uh, segments of For All Merch Kind and then Chris does all those great videos over on the Fire and Water uh, Podcast uh, YouTube channel, I feel like it almost is a regular show. We do do a lot of Toy Talk. But, yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, more uh, merch slash Toy Talk on the network uh, either, Mike. Uh, thank you for the suggestion. Uh, Tom Perrine says, in my years of collecting, I've only come across a couple issues of the Super Friends comic book. As I listen to the podcast, I've been able to follow along thanks to the Hoopla app. Super Friends Saturday Morning Comics Volumes 1 and 2 are both available to check out for free. Thank you for the information, Tom. I've never even heard of the Hoopla app. Very cool. And then finally, Martin Gray says, cheers for a wonderful show. But with a terrific trio of Rob, Derek, and Chris, how could it not be? Thank you, Martin. I don't know how old Derek is, but we seem to be pretty much aligned in terms of our sweet spots. Superman's return to Krypton from Superman 141 is one of the greatest tales of the Silver Age, an exciting and heart-rending three-part novel. Lila Leral, called Leror in her first panel appearance, but changed a few pages later, and here changed to Leral to fit the accepted Kryptonian female naming tradition. As drawn by Wayne Boring and Stan Kay, is utterly bewitching. It's no wonder Ramona homaged a scene from the original on page six. Jerry Siegel even programmed some silent panels 
from these super emotional moments, a real rarity in 1960. Seriously, Rob, so you got a reprint. It's all over the place, such as the Superman in the 60s trade and presumably on DC Infinite. I enjoyed this issue load. You can't go wrong with the Professor Nichols time travel uh, Dre story. He mentions having worked at the DNA Project for a while. I don't recall that. I guess it was a Superman family or world's finest story. Anyone? I'm pleased that E&B didn't have Superman meet Lila again in the story so as to preserve the bittersweet nature of the original they met once. That's it. I love Derek's Ramona Frayden anecdote. Uh, I had a Viewmaster, a lovely gray number, but that was too early for the Super Friends, even if the reels didn't make it to the UK. I don't recall having anything but Rupert the Bear. As regards uh, readers not accepting Super Friends on Earth 1, that should have ended with DC Comics Presents number 46. There, courtesy of Ian B. and Alex Saviak, Superman teamed up with the international superheroes named by an incredibly packed issue's end, the Global Guardians, and directly referenced the Super Friends comic business with the Conqueror. I must have read that issue, uh, Martin. I've read every issue of DC Comics Presents back in the day. I don't remember that specific moment, but yes, that's great that they mentioned Super Friends. Of course, written by Ian B., he's got to reference his own uh, series. So that's cool. Yes, yeah, so it's official, everybody. Super Friends is in DC continuity. So uh, that's going to do it for the feedback for this issue of For All Mankind. Of course, a second big thanks to Derek William Crabb for coming back and covering part two of the story with me. And big thanks to Chris Franklin for coming back again and doing another installment of For All Merch Kind. You can find all the episodes of the show back on our website, fineorderpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. We're always talking super friends over on Twitter at For All Mankind SF. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast. And there you're going to unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Chuck Dill, Stanford M. Brown, Gord Tolton, and David S. Gutierrez for their support of For All Mankind. You guys are truly are super friends. So that's going to do it. Thanks for listening to this episode of For All Mankind. Join us next episode when we'll be looking at Super Friends number 19. The Mystery of the Missing Monkey. NFW-TV Podcast.